This morning, I want to be super straightforward with you guys. I, I'm an addict. And, and like, I, I, know, I know like it's funny because I, I sometimes joke a lot, um, but I am addicted. And it's not like an addiction that other people don't have. Like, you know, there are the highs and there's the lows that come with it. There's like the moments that like you just, you know, you have to have it. And then there's the moments where you just like feel like if you don't get that thing, that it is just going to like eat you alive. I'm addicted. And I'm addicted to the spiritual highs. The highs that we get at camp. The things that, the, the moments that we spend with God where it's like there is nothing that comes between you and God in that moment. Like you can stand and worship and sing and it doesn't matter who else is in the room because in that moment you are with God and that's all that matters. And maybe you've had the same moments like I have. Maybe you've like had a moment like that that's come at, at a revival Maybe you've had a moment like that that has come at a, a kid's camp or a youth camp. Maybe it's been at a service that you've had here. Maybe it's a moment that you were at a wedding or a funeral. One of those things we call thin moments when it feels like God's presence is there before you even like thought about it. And then when you meet with God, it's like, man. But I'm addicted to those moments. And, and I think a lot of times we rely on those moments a little bit too much. We go to camp, we've gone to a revival, we come to church, and we live in these spiritually high moments. But then things don't really ever build from that. We cling to that high, hoping that it'll stay, and then slowly, as we re-enter life, and things begin to go back to normal, and we go back to work, or we go back to school, or we go back to the routine, we kind of lose that moment. We'll talk about it a lot. We'll go back and we'll say, hey, remember we were at camp, and we were up front raising our hands? Or remember when we did this at camp where we cut through chains and we were talking about breaking through chains or, or we have those moments where someone does an altar call and we've made our way forward and we put our knees down at the altar and we pray and we ask God to meet with us and we'll talk about those all day but then when we look at our lives in that moment we haven't really built upon that we cling to that high and we look back and we, we think that that was good enough now, I don't want you to hear me wrong because I love those moments. And I think that camps and things like that are extremely important for our spiritual growth. Anytime that you can get out of your normal routine and meet with God in an environment where there's lots of people that are doing the same thing, that are like-minded, I think that it's super beneficial. But that can't be the only thing. So today we're going to look at somebody his name's Moses, if you didn't know, because um, I didn't tell you yet. But we're going to look at somebody who didn't cling to the spiritually high moments and just ride that. If you know anything about Moses, he's the guy that went up the mountain and met God at a burning bush. And for me, like in my mind, that seems like it would be a pretty good moment. 
that I wouldn't really need to meet with God because he just talked to me through a bush, right? Like in that moment, you'd be like, all right, that's pretty cool. Like I think I'll remember that the rest of my life. But Moses didn't cling to those moments. So we're going to look in Exodus 34 today. But my question as you guys are turning there is, are you clinging or relying on the spiritual highs of the past? So if you will, um, we're going to turn to Exodus 34, um, and we're going to start in chapter, or verse 29, um, going through 35. So just a little bit of background. Um, I don't want to give too much background because it would take a long time. Man, that's so small. I'm sorry. In my mind, that looks way bigger when I made it than it is right now. So if you guys want to pull out your binoculars, um, you can follow along on the screen. If not, I'm really just encouraging you to open up your own Bible, okay? Because <laughs> I can't even read it. Gosh, it was huge. Like, that's like 60 font, but, but it was, that was, that's 50. Yeah, it is. I'll, I'll prove it to you later. But so <laughs> that was the light moment after the really heavy moment. You guys ever watch Transformers or like a movie, like a, a superhero movie? Like they go in those super deep moments and you remember those deep moments, but they always have to have a little bit of like, that was your moment to take a breath, okay? I'm just like, I'm going to pour it out there for you guys today. Um, and yeah. So Exodus 34, Moses is getting ready to go back up um, Mount Sinai, or he had gone, he's gone back up Mount Sinai. God has instructed him to take two new tablets, new stone tablets, because he broke the other ones. Um, he got mad that the Israelites were worshiping not the God of Israel, but some golden calf kind of thing, God, you know, and so he got mad, and in his, his rage, or if you guys watch Dude Perfect stuff at all, the rage monster, he took the old tablets, and he smashed them, right? So he got mad and broke them, so God wanted to, him to read new, or make new ones, so he took stone tablets up the mountain, so he's meeting with God. That should be enough background for us to understand where we're going. So, Exodus 34, 29 through 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was, that his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave him the, all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for this morning. Uh, we can't thank you enough for it. Um, but God, I pray that as we dive deeper into your word, um, again, that our hearts and our eyes and our ears be open to what you have to say. Not what Thomas has to say or what some book or anything else has to say, but God, what your word has to say for us this morning. So God, we pray that. We, we claim that this morning, and, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So, in our passage, Moses is on his way back down the mountain. He's got the, the tablets in his hand, and he's spent 40 days and 40 nights with God. He didn't eat or drink, which if you didn't eat and drink for 40 days, like, I think we'd be dead. But, like, I just imagine, like, I haven't eaten this morning. I've had one cup of coffee, like an extra large cup of coffee to keep me, like, energized and going, and I'm already hungry. So I can't even imagine 40 days and nights without food or water. But Moses did it with God. Um, when he comes back down, his face is glowing, and the people knew he had gone to meet with God. And so I want, I want to break this down into three things that really you see from this passage that are happening in Moses and the Israelites' life, right? So we're going to look in, we're going to take three things from this. Um, but the first is that spending time with God changes us. Spending time with God changes us. So when we spend time with God, like Moses did, we begin to look more like him, right? You've heard the, the like, phrase that, like, married couples or the study that married couples begin to look a little more like each other. Have you guys heard this before? I think, I think someone that used to work here said it at one point, but... It talks about a married couple, like, as they are married longer, they begin to develop, like, similar habits. They have similar mannerisms. Um, sometimes they may even start to look like each other, um, which in my case would be great. Um, but they start to develop that. It even happens in friendships. So, like, my friend and I, my friend Chris and I did a lot of camp planning together. And so, as part of our camp planning, we always, like, have a moment where we dive really deep into what we, like, a schedule or what we need to do, and then we, like, take, like, a hour-long break to play a board game, and then we go back to doing what we need to do. Um, but I noticed that when I was spending time with Chris, some of the things that I would say were things that Chris said. So, like, if someone were to tell me something and I agreed, I would say 100%. And I was like, wait, I've never said like, in agreement with somebody, yeah, 100%, until I had spent this time with Chris, right? Or back in college, I had a friend, his name was Tad. Um, we played soccer together, and Tad always had this, like, this bounce when he laughed. He would laugh, and it was like he got the little shoulder bob, you know? You know people like that? They're like, they're laughing, like, ha, 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 And, like, if it was really laugh, it would be like a bent over, like, shoulder bounce, too. You know what I'm talking about? And I noticed, like, after like four years of playing soccer and then living with him for a semester, like when I was sitting like talking with somebody and I started laughing and I noticed my shoulders were bouncing and I was like, I'm not a shoulder bounce laugher. Like I don't do that, but like for some reason I had been around Tad enough to where that like rubbed off on me. And it's the same with God. When we spend time with God, our mannerisms and our actions begin to look more like his. It changes us, but it can't be a half-hearted, like, spending time. Like, I didn't spend time with Chris just in, like, uh, like, we didn't just meet up and, like, I say, hey, Chris, and, like, walk away. Like, we spent hours together, like, planning and playing board games because that's fun. You, ha you got to have those moments, right? But we spent hours together. Same with Tad and I. We spent time playing soccer. We spent time training. We spent time living together. But you have to, it has to be a devoted, like, specific time. It can't just be like a, 
yep, we just spent time together. Josh and I have spent time together today because he said hey to me. You know, like that, that's not how it works. And it's the same with God. Like Moses didn't go up the mountain and just like walk up the mountain, get to the top, say, hey God, and walk back down. No, he spent 40 days and 40 nights not eating or drinking because he was meeting with God. So spending time with God changes us, but it only changes us when it is an intentional time with him. The second thing that I want us to see from this passage is that people will look at you differently. And this is kind of a hard thing in like our culture and society, especially when you're meeting with youth and children. Like what people think about you is almost, if not more important than what God thinks about you, which is not true, but that's the mindset that they have. So when Moses came back down the mountain, Aaron and the Israelites were afraid. Right? They didn't want to be, be near him. And, and sorry for the side note, but if you like study the Hebrew, right, which obviously I'm just a big Hebrew junkie, um, the word that they use for radiant is Quran, Quran. It's not like to be confused with the Quran. Um, it's not the same word, but it's Quran. Um, and it, it can mean glowing or radiant, but it can also mean um, like you have horns. So like, may, like it may have been because of his horns. We have that picture of Moses with his horns. Yeah. So Michelangelo, not the Ninja Turtle, the artist, um, <laughs> did a, a sculpture of Moses here. And the, he put horns. So I don't know if there's a mistranslation. But when you spend time with God, people will look at you different, whether your face is glowing or whether you have... Um, makeshift horns, right? Um, at camp, we talked a lot about, like, coming back home. You know, we, we wanted to try to fight this, like, le making your spiritual high just disappear after camp and going on. So we, we always are trying to find ways to play into, like, what is it going to look like when you get back home? Like, what steps can you take to, like, take what you've learned at camp and bring it back home? And so, we're trying to talk through that, and, you know, and so it starts off with, like, what type of things are good at camp? And so a, a big theme that kept coming back is that they loved worship. Like, a lot of the kids at middle school and high school camp love the worship at camp. Um, probably the night more than the morning, because the night has more of the, like, active and the guitars, and the morning was just me, and they're used to me. So um, they liked the worship, right? And, and they would go up, they would crowd the stage, um, and they would raise their hands. You guys saw it in the video. They would all huddle around in front of the stage, and it would be all of them together worshiping God and, and praising Him. And, and so they were always like, man, we loved our time of worship. We loved being able to sing and not worry about what people thought. And so I told them, um, some of our girls and some of the other kids that were at camp, I, I said, so why don't you do that back when we get back to church? And the biggest thing was, we're afraid that people will look at us differently. We're afraid that people in the church will look at us and think that we're weird or different. That seems a little messed up. And I think the same is true for adults, right? We don't raise our hands. We don't sing and jump and dance around because we're worried that someone is going to think differently of us if we do that. But that's exactly what happens when we spend time with God. When you realize how good God is, you should want to raise your hands. 
when you realize the freedom you have when your, your sin is gone, like, who cares if you want to dance because of that? God has freed you from your sin. God has released those things off of you, and so you should want to respond however you want to respond. Now, if someone starts running up and down the aisles while we're singing, like, it may be a little bit of a shock in here, but if that's the response that they have to God who has sent his son to die for you and to save you from your sins so that you could live in eternal life with him, like, I think that'd be okay. I don't imagine heaven being filled with a bunch of pews and people just standing in the same spot every day. At least that's not what I, I, I can picture it looking like. So when, when you spend time with God, it will change you. Um, and when you spend time with God, people will look at you differently. The last thing that we see from Moses is that he had to keep going back. He would come down the mountain and he would share what God had learned with him. And then when he was done, he would put a veil over his face. Right? He had put this veil over his face, and, and, and our, in our translation it says because his face was radiant and glowing. Um, you know, when you start thinking about the Hebrew and the horns, maybe that was probably why, you know, if he had horns, he may not want to walk around with horns. But he would put this veil over his face until he would go back and meet with God again. And then after he would meet with God, he would come and share what he had learned and then put the veil over his face. And the process would continue. Um, it wasn't like every few months or every year at a revival. Um, but he had to continuously go back and meet with the Lord in order to share and show the radiance that he had. But Paul tells us it doesn't have to be this way. We go to the New Testament in Second Corinthians. Paul shares that it doesn't have to be the exact same way that Moses encountered God. And so if you want, um, you're not going to be able to follow along on the screen probably because it's tiny. Um, but we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And it says this, For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts." But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul tells us that Moses would cover his face because he didn't want the Israelites to see the fading. He didn't want the Israelites to see that he had spent time with God and then it was starting to fade as he didn't spend time with him. It says it right there in verse 13. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. 
So Moses would cover his face because as he spent time away from God, the, the, the radiance would fade. But then he tells us that there's hope because even though that would happen, he says in verse 16 that when anyone turns to Christ, the veil is taken away. When anyone turns to Christ, the veil is taken away. Because when a sinner turns to Christ, they are inviting God to work in their lives. They're inviting God to live in their heart and walk with them on a daily basis. We're not bound to the old ways of going to a priest or to a temple or a prophet to be able to meet with God because we can do it on our own. You know the story, but when Christ died, we now have access to Him. You have the ability to meet with God in intimate moments if you're willing to take the time for Him. Camp is, is great. Revivals are wonderful. Conferences are phenomenal. Moments at church are fantastic, but they're not the only places that our faith should grow. We cling to these moments thinking that they're going to carry us through to the next big moment that we have with God, but it doesn't have to be this way. Paul says in verse 18 that we with unveiled faces, are being transformed. We are being transformed because when we meet with God, it changes you. We're being transformed into Christ's image. So why would you only want this to occur on occasion? I use this illustration a lot with our teens, but how many of you have a, a cell phone? Most, most of you in here have a cell phone, um, I, I'm assuming. But like, what would happen if you charged your phone once a week? Like mine, mine's already at 50% today and it's only 11.52. Like I've only been awake for like five hours, but like my phone's at 50%. If you only charged it once a week, it wouldn't work all week. Now, if you have a good battery, like, it may last you, like, three days. But you wouldn't charge it once a week. That doesn't make sense. Just like you wouldn't eat once a day. Maybe you would, but, like, you wouldn't eat once a week, would you? Like, imagine if you had to leave here today and eat your meal for the entire week. What would you eat? Steak. What would you eat? You can tell me. This is a talkback time. Fried chicken. Sushi? You'd eat sushi? Yeah. What would you, I mean, like one meal. Sweet potatoes. You'd probably like carb load, right? You'd eat a bunch of rice and, and noodles, right? But you wouldn't eat once a week. You wouldn't charge your phone once a week. So why do we expect that meeting with God once or twice a week is going to do it? It's not. Um... I'm going to ask Matt and, and Lonnie to come back up, and we're going we're gonna to sing a song. Um, but one of my favorite, well, one of the places that I like to go on occasion um, is a racetrack out in Winston-Salem. Um, it's called Bowman Gray, a.k.a. the Madhouse, right? And it's called the Madhouse because it is old-school racing, 
Like it's, it's a 400 meter, like quarter mile track that they would stack 40 cars into. And it's just, it's crazy. There's wrecks every 10 seconds. Like you're, you go for the crashes. The racing is great. The environment is, is there. There's an environment. But you go to watch the cars hit each other, and it, it's, it's a lot of fun. But the last time I went, um, we took our middle school camp speaker, um, which is like, I mean, you bring somebody in from out of town, like, you want to show them North Carolina. Like, that, this is probably one of the things, you know, you throw up a three for Dale. Um, but I, I was struck with this thought of, you know, when they get into the, the bigger races, the ones where the cars are more expensive, it's less about running into each other and more about, they call it, hitting your line. So the cars go around this track. They do it in qualifying, and they have to hit a certain line. And as they go around, they try to hit it just perfect because if you hit this line going around the track, your time is, is the best. Like, you can get a better time if you hit this line perfectly. And it's great when you're racing, if you're in front, if you hit this line, like, you can, you can pull away from people. But I, I was thinking about it and, and watching them go around the track, and, and I was thinking, man, how many Christians do we have that are just going around hitting the line? Because you see, if, if everyone is going and hitting the line, you're never able to move forward in the pack because everybody's just doing the same routine over and over again. You go around the track and keep going around and around, but until a car is willing to step out of their normal line, they're not going to really move forward. They're not going to ever take a step forward or closer to the pole car, the car in first place, which is Jesus, right? You're never going to move closer to God if you just continue to do the same thing over and over and over again. It can last you a little while. You can, you can make it all the way around the track through the whole race, and, and, and you have a fairly good time, but like until you're willing to step out of the normal and do something new or something that's different or meet with God in a new way, you're never going to move forward. And, and I don't know what that stepping out looks like for you. I know at some point all of you have probably had an encounter with God, whether it was at a camp, at a church, at a revival, at a conference, at a wedding, at a funeral. At some point in your life, you have had an encounter with God. And those encounters can propel you forward in your faith. But those only last a certain while. You can cling to them. You can hold on to those as anchors. But you are never going to move forward until you're willing to step out and do something different that will allow you to grow closer to God. And it may be serving someone. It may be going to a Bible study that you've never gone to Bible study. It may be as simple as setting a schedule for yourself that you can read your Bible and pray three or four or five times a day, 
it may, I don't know what it looks like because every one of us is at a different spot. But the question is, are you willing to move out of the line of routine to take another step forward for God? For somebody in here, it may be your first step towards God. There may be somebody in this room that has never decided to claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We heard that Elijah was able to do that at camp, but there may be other people in here that have never made that step. And maybe that's your first step today. Or maybe you've done that and you're kind of stuck in the line. And I would encourage you to pray and to read your Bible because those are great things. But I think more importantly than that too, I think you need to try to talk to a pastor or a close friend or a Sunday school leader or somebody that you trust to help you figure out a way that you can step out of the line and move closer to Jesus. And so as Matt and Lonnie sing and play, um, I just have some other questions for you to ponder. So here they are. Are you still using the highs of the past to propel you forward in your faith? Or are you finding new ways where you can meet with God? Is there transformation occurring in your life? Why is there or why is there not? And does the image you reflect or radiate look more like you or does it look more like Jesus? So as they sing and play, um, we've got stuff on the altar, but there's spots that are open if you want to come forward and pray, if you want to pray in your seat, if you want to stand and worship, however you want to respond. Um, and then I'll come back up and close this.